people's relationships with nature are complicated. Join me over the next 30 minutes and throughout this series to discover what it means to be in a relationship with Mother Nature. listening to Feet Upon the Ground. Today, I have with me Father Mac Brown. First, Mac, I wanted, I wanted you to talk about your, what would you call it, your road trip? Okay, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think there's a, a point in time when you, you got to have some grand adventure. And, and, and honestly, what I've come to learn is that it happens all the time. You get to have it all the time. But a lot of people only get to have one. And, and there was a point in time, uh, I was graduating from college and um, was given some money and my parents said, either go travel around Europe or buy a new car. And so I decided to buy a used car, a uh, pickup truck, and drive around the continental U.S. I, I lived in East Tennessee and gone to college in East Tennessee, my, so I'd been there my entire life and this was get across the Mississippi and find something else. Um, so. Packed up a Chevy Silverado with a yellow lab who was just big enough to jump into the floor pan, and we set off on a 14,463-mile trip on the other side of the Mississippi for about three months. So on that road trip, I'm sure you've met, you met some people very different from yourself, yeah. and I'm sure you explored landscapes very different from what you were used to. How did that change you? That's a big big question. Yeah, it's a big question. So you're right. I mean, like, I I, vivid memory of coming across South Dakota Plain and, like, just being in this massive wind that was weird because it was just constant. I never really, uh, like, at the ocean wind, but just there. And then all of a sudden in in western South Dakota, the soil turns green. And I don't mean, like, Grass, whatnot, like the the soil, the ground is purple and green, and the road cutaways reveal the the stratification of the soil, and there's purple and green soil, and and, and uh, it was alien, um, you know, in like the southeastern Utah, and these just like sandstone, windswept, you know, carved arches and canyons, and it's just this. There's the there's a glow there of color that is that is absent from from what we have here. I mean, I, the lushness of the greens of Southern Appalachia, and, and I remember uh, in Zion National Park, um, I was there in I guess mid mid October, and uh, the cottonwood trees, which have a, a, just a white bark, were in their fall foliage turn, and so they're leaves were this just bright, bright, kind of like a ginkgo's yellow, all surrounded by orange, red sandstone cliffs, and just this kind of primary, just three sets of the only three colors around, and just it was a really interesting difference. Uh, You know, on that trip, I I met a lot of people, and 
you know, there were these two ladies who played the lottery in a little place called Catfish, South Dakota, who, when they won the lottery, they bought the supermarket. And that, that was what they wanted to do. They knew I wasn't from around there because I was trying to buy, uh, trying to buy some type of bean. I don't even remember what type of bean it was now, but they, they knew that I wasn't from around there. I, my voice may have given away also, but, um, yeah, there was, but I also, not only did it, the wilderness also there was, you know, I, I found a state park in Malibu and camped in like the LA area for like two weeks, staying in the little state parks in and around LA's beaches and mountains. And so not only was there times when I was definitely far flung and in the middle of nowhere with no one except for the dog, there were other times when I was in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by everything, not knowing, not knowing where I was. I want to, I want to explore this idea between childhood and adulthood. Yeah. The idea that you don't really know when adulthood starts, if it ever does, or when childhood ends. If it ever should. (laughs) If it ever should. That's right. Can you maybe describe if you can think of a moment like that? There were two moments, uh, and and both from this road trip, but I'll I'll share specifically, but there are many others um, where that type of pivotal event change happened. So um, I mentioned southeastern Utah in the Zion, Moab, Canyonlands area. And I was in the Canyonlands area and decided to watch the sunrise. And uh, I was down in a canyon, so I hiked up uh, the wall as far as I could in this canyon and got to where I kind of like looked down the canyon, the slot canyon, and see the sun rising up that uh, up through the canyon, and um, something happened. And I re- that's the really the best in all these years. The best way that I can say something happened when the sun rose and came up that that canyon. There, there was an illumination, uh, and and it, things weren't quelled. Questions weren't didn't disappear. But a peace was given about, about presence, about my presence, about divine presence, and about the acceptability of the presence of my doubt and questions. And, and, and it was sunlight. It, it was sunlight. It was dawn. It was narrow space of earth and, and, and fracture and light coming into that. The setting most certainly played a, a role. Um, then... And there was nothing I did to do that. I decided I want to watch the sunrise, and that happened to me, uh, out of control. Now, another thing that happened, and this was a beauty, so a, a number of months later, it was probably early November, yeah, uh, I was uh, in the Sequoia National Forest uh, in the Sierra Nevadas and was camping in a campground in the, it was not camping season, so there weren't any weren't anybody around, and I'd been there probably about five or six days, and um, I, I decided I, I needed to hear some human voice. You know, like Scout the dog couldn't couldn't hold a conversation too well. <laughs> so I uh, so I turned on the radio and listened to you know NPR or ESPN or whatever it was, and fixed my dinner and that was that. And packed up and in the morning planned to head on out. And when I got in the truck to start it, the battery is dead. I I'd, I'd killed the battery listening to the radio. No worries, I have you know, one of those little jump boxes that I can use to jump in. It, it, it didn't work. I had used it somewhere else, and it just we didn't have the charge. So I got a little freaked out, 
you know, here I am stuck in the middle of the Sierra Nevadas. Once again, I've got my car, which is equivalent to my house, with all my gear in it. I've got food, but this anxiety started to set in. And for two days, I like paced up and down the road, just like waiting to see somebody. I didn't see anybody. And like day three, I like sat by my car. And, and, and during this time, I also formally, like, I have my backpack, I have a tent. Got, you know, I can hike out of here down this road. It's not, I was never, but on the fourth day, I said, I'm, I'm just going to, like, hang out. <laughs> so I made a little cardboard sign and put up the hood of my car and left jumper cables and said, you know, hey, if you come by and I'm not here, if you could put some juice in my battery, that'd be great. And I just went on day hikes. And I just pulled out the map, took a compass heading, and in the great big old growth forest there there's no undergrowth so you can just hike cross country uh it was it was amazing uh so one day after doing one of those hikes i came back and there was a vw microbus <laughs> jumping my car off we hung out had a meal i spent the night there and that came around again and left the next morning uh that was day 12 i had camped there four days intentionally and then eight days without the capability of leaving. Um, and and what set in in, in that was, of course, ability to kind of handle anxiety and be comfortable, but was this the much deeper thing that's taken me years to really understand what happened there was an ability to be grateful for where I was. Three weeks ago, I was out on my little boat, and it broke down. It's the pain of owning a boat. It breaks down. And I tell this story to people, and they're people are like, oh, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> I was on a boat. <laughs> I mean, once again, I'm not out. I'm not putting myself in places where I'm in, a, in real, real danger. Right. I was just floating. And so, like, there's just this, okay, well, here's where I am. What? Here's where I am. You know, I think people often think of going out in the nature as maybe going on that three-month was it three month? Yeah, three yeah. month um, trip across the U.S. I mean that—that's what you need to do to you know, change your life or whatever. And may, maybe that is the thing that changes your life. Maybe it's not. But I think maybe those little moments where you, where you get out um, into the unknowable places—you mm-hmm. know, just in your backyard. Yeah. Whatever. So I, are more I, I think you're right. I mean, I think I've been blessed with a life full of these big, grand adventures. Kayaking in Canada for three weeks, hiking all through the Smoky, all these things. Um, but, like, we're, we're talking about feet on ground. And, and this, uh, this is just... Uh, I knew this would preach as soon as I realized it was happening to me today. I didn't realize that it would come out in, in the podcast today. But um, <laughs> this morning I was called to the bedside of a man who's dying. Um, and one of the most cherished and honored things I get to do, uh, be present with people when they're dying. It is a constant that all of us will experience. There is no one who will not experience it. And, and so it's an honor to be able to be with people in that space. And as I left our church building, I left striding quickly with my long gait. I was about to pull my cell phone out, like check my emails. I walked to the car and was just kind of very chat, chat business. And I just took the, the sun kind of hit me. In a way, it's a you know early spring day, and I just kind of stopped and looked up, and went, "Thank you for this beautiful day." And I put my phone back in my pocket, 
and I strolled. I mean, it was 40 yards total from beginning to end, but that wild adventure of just taking a moment and strolling, slowing down and being present with where I was and looking for the buds on the trees and the birds in the sky and the contrail of the jet flying at 40,000 feet over us in these crystal blue skies, that wilderness experience in that moment gave me the ability to be more present in the wilderness experience of going to a hospice bedside. Uh, they are different wilderness experiences, but they are into the <laughs> wild, uh, to use that book's phrase. But uh, yeah, so it, and and it was I just I noticed my feet, my the, my the pace of my stride changed. It really was like stomping out to strolling. Had I not been given that moment of grace and peace in, in the wild of the trees blooming, what would my expectation and my experience at the bedside have been? Would I have sped through that? Would I have I shortchanged the experience because I was unwilling or able to notice the beauty and grace around me? Um, yeah, and that, I mean, that's the... It, it, a lot of my wilderness experiences now, after the car trip was you know, a big grand thing. And, and now they're with the kids and all that stuff. It's <laughs> weekend or weekday. Or, but I've noticed just that my modes of transportation are slower. I'm walking or if I'm on my boat, you know, it's, you, you don't get to choose the fast lane. You're, you're going where the river goes. Right. Uh, and that's an interesting con- concept for me to explore now. Also, I, I think my, um, I'm debating whether if the boat can be repaired and make a return, is it, Without too great expense, um, I hope to continue my this summer to continue my trip traveling down the Tennessee River. Uh, so I'm kind of section hiking, as if you were um, the Tennessee River. So over my life now, I've traveled all of uh, from the Little River in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park to its confluence with the Tennessee River, all the way down now to um, to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So hopefully to continue all the way to. Paducah, Kentucky, and do the whole Tennessee Valley. I, I get to do some more wilderness stuff now than I got to do in my years in seminary and my years in youth ministry. It was almost like college and the time after college, I got to do all this good wild wilderness stuff and then a break, get off, and then now I'm getting to do a whole lot more. Uh, and it's it, the, the thing that I didn't remember was how scary they can be. Um, I mean, a two-night backpacking trip, a little dehydrated and you get to a campsite that doesn't have any water and you're now in a whole different position. I think your life is not controllable and I think so many adults operate in the fallacy that they are in control. Um, and so um, uh, the wild definitely reminds me that I'm not in control. Uh, I mean, nature does that to us all the time. That's why we want to predict weather. <laughs> we can control it, but it's we control our expectations of it, right? Living into the uncontrollability offers you a, a greater, an, an actual peace. Um, to the, at that bedside table uh, today, at the bedside, at the, the, the deathbed today, um, two of the people who were with me were widows themselves. And at one point in time, I found it was just myself, these two widows, and the person dying. Uh, and there was a peace in that room that was palpable that wasn't present when there were other people in the room. Uh, and it was because everyone there had been in that wild place before. Um, it, it was not the same wild place they'd been in, but it was similar enough that they had 
known its uncontrollability and were able to be there again. How is, for you, the experience of nature alone and with others you know, in communion, how is that different? Yeah, well, uh, so you remember when we hiked up uh, Mount Roberts, that cross, oh, and there was like <laughs> some blah, blah, blah about gender separation? It was really because I wanted y'all to be quiet. I wanted y'all to shut up. <laughs> and walk through the woods without being the cacophony of teenagers. To take people into the woods, into the wild, and to go by myself are, are two different things. And, and I prepare myself differently. Obviously, if I'm going by myself, I've got to carry all my own stuff. If I'm taking people into the woods, the majority of my adult life, I mean, from college on, I've been taking people into the woods as a leader, as a facilitator. And so there's a whole... Uh, educational component to it. In college, I was one of our caving leaders and would take groups into the caves around the Suwannee area every month. Um, and so that you, you prepared little challenges and rewards and, and that type of just to, to, to push people through hard, harder endeavors in order to reach nicer rewards. Uh, taking my kids out into the woods and that type of stuff is even crazier because you, you got these expectations of what you want them to be able to do, and they're you know he's a three year old like he can't do anything, right? Right? You know, like he's hiked a mile. We're good to go. That's and you, it. Now <laughs> I will say he's already shown an excellent capability to to poop in the woods. I'm, I'm pretty. <laughs> that's a that's a feature I'm pretty happy about for my boy. Feature. Yeah, exactly. Feature. That's a quality. That's a it's a skill. That's a skill. He's a, um, but yeah, so I mean, it's a. It, and I don't, you know, I've been thinking about that. I don't go into the groups, into the woods of group people as uh, that often, unless it's like my group of guy friends. Um, but then we're all kind of like a little group of solos. Like everybody's got their own gear, own tent, all that stuff. So the going in with the community, you get this interesting, uh, well, Bailey, you were responsible to bring this and you forgot it. And now we don't have that. It's, it's an interesting experience going in um going in with a big group of people because that's also uh, as humans that's very natural but in nature it's very unnatural right that, that there's just a herd of people are troping through <laughs> um, and so it's a different experience also the the sounds are different what's interesting I've also noticed about going solitary though some inevitably I'll find there'll be people like rarely am I ever ultimately by myself for that long especially here in the southeast there's just not that big wide open spaces and so it's sometimes a challenge like I will want to go to be by myself in some of our areas but it's so popular here that there'll be other people and I'll have to adjust my expectation of, and they'll, I, one lady wanted to chat me up on the trail I'm like lady I'm hiking like I got 40 pounds on my back I'm way down like let me go I got miles to go what, the reason I went on the boat trip last year is because one of the things I've learned about myself hiking is that I hike fast that it, I'm not as good as about enjoying the journey as I am about. And there's, it has, for me, I, I realize it's about anxiety. You know, I want to get there, set up camp, make sure I've got everything, get, get, you know, get there so that it, I need to get, that was a good thing about the boat. There was no getting there. It's like, that's where I'm <laughs> sleeping over there. Like, just go. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a lot like the car. Like when I was in the car, then I didn't have anywhere to be because, I had everything I needed, just, and I guess I should do the same with backpacking, but, you know, people got campsites you got to get to. I'm sure there's been times when you go out in nature, and you're just like, 
why am I here? You know, yeah. it, it doesn't end up being what you want it to be. Well, I mean, I think one of the things we've talked about quite a bit is, you know, our attempt to control and nature and wild's ability to remind us that we're not in control. I think I've definitely thought that I needed to go on, on some trip, some do something. Um, when I got out there, I realized, nope, I'm, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I, I mentioned, you know, I did a, uh, it was going to be a six mile hike in and camp and six mile hike out. And I got to the campsite and said, nope, I want to go here. I want to make pancakes in the morning for my boys and <laughs> hear their giggles. Right. And like, that's, I, I needed nature to give me that ability to go away and to realize, nope, I'm not supposed to go away. Uh, and then there have been times where I've just, you know, you're cold and you're wet. That's, that's cold and wet. There's not much more that can take a lot of your desire to think that you're in a good spot away from you. And, and so, I, you know, sleeping in a wet sleeping bag and packing it up, knowing that you have to sleep in it again the next night, it, it's one of the hardest things to mentally ever, to, that I've had to do. I mean... Once again, I talked about going in a deathbed this morning. <laughs> and so I'm just saying, like, I mean, it's, it's one of the, you know, we, we expect and program ourselves around some basic comforts and securities that I have benefited from allowing myself to be challenged, the, those comforts and securities being challenged. Um, and, and so, yeah, cold, wet, that's the worst thing, man. It's <laughs> a wet tent, wet, that, wet boots now when you're doing like extreme distance hiking and you've only got uh, or two pair of things and all of your underwear is wet and frozen that's a tough morning that's a tough that's morning tough. That's, yes. that's that's I don't want to be here nature I'm not sure you want me to be here however I've got no option except to put this on again I mean, I, uh, three years ago, I took a wrong turn off a high Appalachian ball. Just didn't pay attention and just went off the wrong trail. Ended up dropping about 2,000 feet in elevation, but low where my car was parked. It's pouring down rain. Uh, everything's just saturated. So I also didn't get my pack cover on before it started raining. So it was just everything the pack was carrying, a couple extra pounds of water, and I was just hurting. And I got, and there's nothing, you just, Got to get in the car. So there are definitely times when I would say that I get out in nature, get out on an adventure, and realize that uh, I'm not supposed to be there. There's something else I'm supposed to be doing. There are other times where I'm like, dang it, I wish I was doing something <laughs> else. I wish I'd made another. And uh, it's hard to discern those two times, the difference between those two times uh, in the heat of the moment. Because <laughs> when you don't want to be somewhere, it's easy to convince yourself that you're not supposed to be there. But uh, but that's also why it's fun to get yourself in places where you can't get out of easily. You just got to deal with it. So, much lighter question. Yeah. Which term do you prefer? Nature, the outdoors, the wilderness, the natural world, anything else you can think of? God's creation. Yeah. So, one of, once again, you know, uh, back to our some of our enlightenment forefathers and thought. Carol Linnaeus, he wrote the um, you know Homo sapiens. He wrote the order how we how we order how we order the animal kingdom and all that right. And one of the blessings that he did was that he wrote us into that system, right? That we as humans are not separate from the natural world. Now, one of the things so one of the things that I want to postulate, 
and, and state that has been beneficial for me is that to be able to understand a lack of division between wilderness and day and, and day to day has been an extreme benefit to me. So so when I decided to go to a general seminary in New York City, it was after an experience of getting lost in Manhattan. I, the avenues and streets, all avenues run north and south, and all streets run east-west. And I'd been there about five hours you know, visiting the seminary, and I was going to meet a college buddy. And it was just four blocks along whatever, wherever. And I got my avenues and streets off 90 degrees, and so I walked, thinking I was walking north, I walked across the island of Manhattan and got lost and said, ah, I'm going back to Swanee. It's where I went to college. I know where everything is. But I still had to find my friend. I still had to figure out like how to get back to where I belonged. And in getting back, I, I was like, first off, I'm not lost. I'm in the middle of Manhattan. Like, <laughs> I'm in no way in that type of danger. Uh, and this is an adventure into a wild space that I am unfamiliar with. Like, I don't know which way the streets and the avenues go. So I began, that, that is really the turning point for me when I began to see skyscrapers as no different than sequoias, right? That, that, that what we exist in is wild. What we exist in is the natural world. And the beauty of Yosemite or Kleeman's Dome is no different than the beauty of, the, of Central Park's manufactured nature or... <laughs> You know Columbus Circle that that there's there's a beauty in this wild organicness that we are participants in that is that is important to see. There are shadows, the things that move in the shadows that are dangerous and marvelous and wonderful, and support structures that last for eons, and death and carnage and predation and decomposition and resurrection. I mean, it's like it's all there. Train yourself to see it. You keep, we keep mentioning the book Into the Wild by John Krakauer. Yeah. And if I'm correct, at the end of the book, he, yeah. he, he, he dies. Yeah. Plot twist. Yeah, um, right. Spoiler! <laughs> he, he, he dies in what he thinks is total wilderness in Alaska. Right. If I'm correct, only a few miles away from where he was, there were shelters. Yeah. There, there were, you know, places of safety. But he thought, you know, to be completely happy, he had to get away from civilized world. Um, and that he must completely disconnect. And then he thought he could. Mm-hmm. He had some great adventures, yes. Um, and I, there's great things to be learned from his story. But he wasn't ever truly alone. And if he had had a map, he would have been okay. Uh, you know, Daniel Boone, a great American pioneer, found the Cumberland Gap and the easy way to come into East Tennessee and basically the, the forefathers of our, of our European ancestors that settled this, this valley came in that way. He was asked by a reporter... Um, Mr. Boone, what was it like to be lost in the wilderness for so long? And he said, lost? I was never lost. I may have been confused for weeks at a time, but I was never lost. 
the, the tragedy of Alex was that he, he got lost. Yeah, he was only miles away. I mean, it was a treacherous river crossing. He was in a abandoned school bus. It's not like he was, right? But he, he was he was lost in a way that happens in an apartment building in Manhattan just as easily as it happens isolated out there in, on the shore of a bank eating potato seeds. I am cultivating an ability to walk through the vileness and wretchedness of urban life and still see the beauty of natural world. And there are people in this world who suffer from an inability to ever be able to see that when they're surrounded by it. Uh, and, and so he had all these grand adventures and the tragedy is that he was never able to see beyond that, that he wasn't alone, that he, in his, in his isolation, in his river trip, in his Alaska trip, that, that, and, and, and once again, you don't even have to take the grand leaps that I take in my faith to talk about things like God or Trinity or Jesus and resurrection to acknowledge that there is living entities around you other than yourself. You are never alone. Now we can get to the great, great question of what do we do with our microbiome, right? And then we've got all these living entities that we are that we are we, they're necessary for our proper functioning but that, so once again that, that it's, it's it's one of our great illnesses of our time is this this lost isolation um, and so right he the lostness that he felt in society he then thought by removing himself he would be able to cure but that that didn't cure it his story is not unique right like yeah John Krakow wrote it and that's unique but just like my story is nothing extraordinary, neither is his. You know, a, a boy wandering, trying to find. That, that sounds familiar. <laughs> so, sounds very close to home. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Well, thank you, Bailey. I appreciate the time to be here with you.